attention, attention please. The Camp Ojibwa History Podcast is on the air. Hello and welcome to the Camp Ojibwa History Podcast. My name is Christopher Thomason and I am your host for this and many, many more trips down memory lane. The Camp Ojibwa History Podcast is a podcast dedicated to collecting the stories, the history, the memories of Camp Ojibwa for Boys in Eagle River, Wisconsin, founded 1928. This week on the podcast, Arnie Rubens. That's right, Arnie Rubens was a camper in the Late 60s, early 70s, had two older brothers at camp, one of which we've already heard from here on the Camp Ojibwa History Podcast. So a fun perspective being the youngest brother, uh, particularly being the younger brother of a couple of great athletes. A lot of fun, a lot of fun stories with Arnie. Before we get to that, Camp Ojibwa History Project Bricks of Fame. Thank you all uh, for taking part. Thank you all for getting in on it. We're going to extend it for just a couple of days. Uh, we had a couple of small technical difficulties in the past couple of days. So uh, if your brick order went through smoothly, don't worry about it. You would know if you had a problem. Uh, if you did have a problem, check back now. Everything should be up and going and everything should be fine. But we're just going to open it up for a couple more days just to make sure everyone who was trying to get at the last minute still gets through. The History Podcast Road Trip has begun. I'm off on the road, and for the next eight weeks or so, I'm going to be traveling around the country, hitting different spots. So if you're out there, and you would love to, as a former camp person, get on the podcast, drop me a line, Christopher at CampOjibwaHistory.org. Send me an email, let me know where you are, and maybe I can come to you and do an interview right there with you. Okay, that's it. Here we go. Arnie Rubens on the Camp Ojibwa History Podcast. A hydro field cuts through my neighborhood. And somehow that always just made me feel good. I can put a spare bulb in my hand and light up my yard. First and foremost, please state your name and years at camp. My name is Arnie Rubens, and I was at camp from 1967 until 1977. Excellent. Uh, how did you first hear about camp? Uh, both my older brothers went to camp, so I knew about it all my life. Ah. Had you gone up uh, before you were camp age? Did you go up to like visit or go for a visiting weekend or anything no, like that? No, no. Kids weren't allowed. It was oh. Only parents were allowed for visiting dates. So I'd never been there before. I just always knew about it and knew that that was what was expected of me and knew what that's what I was excited to, to be doing. Gotcha. Uh, so even though your brothers went, did you still have sort of a formal camp call? Did Al yeah. or yes. Mickey come over? Yes. I had a formal camp call from Al and Mickey. Mm. And um, saw what it was I was getting into, which is very funny because my oldest brother, Mitch, uh, six years older than me, and Al Schwartz was friendly with my our grandfather hmm. from the Covenant Club in Chicago. And he knew that uh, my grandfather had three grandsons. And he wanted to come to the house to show slides to my parents and to my brother to get them to sign up for camp. And um, for various reasons, it had my parents had to cancel. Someone had a cold. My father had a meeting, whatever it was. And he kept on pursuing it to get to the house and make the call. <laughs> and um, eventually it happened. And my father realized 20 years of Ojibwa tuition later, <laughs> Al, Al was making a really good decision to pursue <laughs> to pursue the Rubens family. My, my dad said he thinks he paid for cabin one. <laughs> it seems about, the, the math seems right on that. Yeah, for sure. That's great. So you had your camp call, and you go to camp, and you're taking buses at that time. Yeah. Right. So you, what's the first thing you remember? 
about getting to camp. A lot of people seem to have a real something that that first little bit that really sticks out for them. Mine was just that I had seen the pictures before and was like, holy shit, I'm finally here. Mm. Nice. I just, you know, it was it was beautiful. I knew what it was going to look like, and I was very excited to be there. Awesome. So those early days as a camper, was that great? Was it, eh? How was the early camp experience? It was very easy for me for a couple of reasons. One was that both my brothers were there, mm-hmm. and we were unique, I think. In the years I was at camp, we were the only three-brother combination. Mm. And... um they're always around, so I, I felt comfortable knowing that they were there, and also my my closest friend from home, uh, who I'd grown up with, and my closest friend since I was like four years old, went with me to camp. Ah, what's and his name? Kirby Caden. Ah, and so Kirby and I were together, and um, that made it easier too. Yeah, and and the adjustment of being a young camper was was also easy because both my older brothers, uh, Mitch and Jimmy, were. Well, to me, they were just my brothers. I had no clue that they were both pretty revered mm. at camp. My my older brother, Mitch, was 16 years old. And at the age of 16, from the campus diamond, he could hit a beach ball, maybe even a lake ball. He was really powerful. Wow. He, was, he was the best athlete at camp. He was first, first. He was all the, all the stuff that people kind of uh, revered. Mm-hmm. And, hell, he was my brother. And he used to come by, and Jimmy did too, would come by our cabin and um, play catch with me and Kirby outside in the front just to help us get better. And the other kids in the cabin were like, holy shit, these are your brothers. Yeah, that's huge street cred. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it was was very big. And they'd come in the cabin, they'd lay during rest period when we, of course, weren't, well, Mitch more than Jimmy because Jimmy was restricted too. But when you're 16 years old, you don't have those restrictions. Would come in the cabin and just like lay in the bed and just bullshit with all the kids in the cabin. Nice. So that made me kind of cool for no reason other than my brother's Mitch Rubens. Yeah, for sure. And um, <laughs> that's that's currency at camp. <laughs> yeah, it, it was it was a big deal. And the funny thing about it is really was that from home and stuff, I had no clue. Right. They're just my brothers. <laughs> So that was that was very neat. Yeah. And those guys were both pretty good athletes. Were you also a good athlete? No, no, no. I was not a good. I wasn't a spaz, but I was not a good. I was not anywhere near their league. Mm. Um, but I, uh, I played right field, and when a powerful lefty came up to bat, they switched me to to, to left field. Um, I played second base. I, I never, I never was terrible. Yeah, but I wasn't great. I was pretty good at soccer because I wasn't small and, and I had big feet. Mm. So I could play defense pretty pretty, uh, pretty clearly. And, and, and I did that in high school, too. I had the encouragement of my brother, Jimmy, who yeah. was always my, uh, my, my best fan and my guide on what to do. I went, I went to New Trier, and he said, it's a really big school. You got to... You got to have some connection before you get there. Hmm. And soccer is a great way of doing it because you have practice before school starts. And you learned how to do everything. You got all the skills from Ojibwa. And you're pretty quick. Just do it. So me and Kirby played soccer at Nutra. Nice. Because of our training at Camp Ojibwa. Yeah. Well, that's really good advice, too, with the school and kind of in a big, big school like that, being able to find a click to get into and people to hang out with. That's great advice. Yeah. Just, well, that's, you need a big brother like Jimmy. That's it. To tell you what to, <laughs> to, tell you what to do. <clears throat> this message was paid for by Jimmy Rubens. <laughs> uh, so that early camp career. So what's the, what's camp like in those days? What, when you think back on your sort of childhood camp memories, what are the things that really stick out that you liked or that you didn't like? Well, camp was, Al in those days was responsible for the kitchen and for the grounds. Mm. And Mickey was basically the director. He did everything else that Al used to do that Al didn't do. Gotcha. And, and then Denny was the pro. Oh, I've got to tell you a funny story about that. But Denny was the program director who actually ran the programs. Um, my first year at camp, which was 1967, Denny wasn't there. Um, he was 
Rachel was born that year, and he right. did not come to camp. Uh, our program director was George Sachs, and so he was a program director, and his wife Karen was the wife of the program director, and that's what I knew. And then the next year, George wasn't there, and Denny was there with Sandy Rosen and their baby, and their dog, I think, I don't, the dog Jamie. Anyway, the second year Denny is there, and everyone's talking about Denny Rosen, Denny Rosen this, Denny Rosen that. And here I'm thinking, gee, this is the new program director. <laughs> he, he's a pretty popular guy. <laughs> I had no clue that he had been around for you know a million years before, and that was just the one year off. Because from my perspective, George Sachs was replaced sure. by Denny Rosen. There's this new guy coming in with a dog and a baby. <laughs> and, and, and also with George Sachs, uh, which was also very cool my first year, his brother, Ian Sachs, was... Our, was our counselor. Mm. So how cool was it to have your brother's, to have your counselor's brother be the program director? I mean, that that's an exalted status yeah, right there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. For sure. Um, so anyway, so <clears throat> Al basically did the morning stuff. He did the calisthenics by the lakefront and dip, then dip her shower. And he, he didn't really talk that much in the... Uh, well, he, he occasionally would speak up in the mess hall, and when Al spoke, people listened because it was always for a reason. Hmm. For example, he he, would, he he had a line. Whenever they used to have the stacks of toilet paper stacked up in the in the in the new shower house, and sometimes guys would get into toilet paper fights, and there'd be twenty rolls of toilet paper that were ruined. <laughs> and Al would get up, and he'd help be holding a single roll of toilet paper, and he says. This is Delcy toilet paper, two ply. Nothing is too fine for my boys. And then he'd be really <laughs> pissed about it. Or the same thing with the napkins. Mm. We have the napkins in a in a napkin holder on the on the mess hall tables, and sometimes people would go through all that. One, just take one. All you do need is to use one. <laughs> but his line was also, you know, nothing is too fine for my boys. And those were the days when Saturday night they had steak and shrimp cocktail. Mm. I mean, it was just, I mean, who does that? It was just very cool. When people would talk about how it's a food at camp, uh, a lot better than at home. You know? Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> I've never heard anyone mention the shrimp cocktail, actually. They I knew would, it was steak night. But... They, they had steak night. And they didn't always do the shrimp cocktail, but they had those big um, stainless steel bowls, mm -hmm. and they were filled with shrimp. Not every Saturday night, but right. they had it occasionally, they would do that. Wow. Um, it was just... It was over the top. Yeah. It really was. <laughs> anyway, so Al would do all this. And then Mickey's big deal, I, not, it wasn't a big deal. It was just a tradition that you look forward to. It was just nice that Mickey always did the lights out thing. Mm. We'd come by the cabin, you know, cabin four, all in, all in, Mickey. Good night, boys. Good night, Mickey. And if it was Sunday night, we would say something like, great flick, Mick. And then we would all laugh, thinking how cool were we? We're breaking the sure the routine <laughs> of, of the exact words that we were supposed. To, and, and, then he, and then we'd mumble as he was walking to the next camera. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I'd never met uh, Mickey until we sat down an interview. I'd, he'd come to camp briefly. I got a handshake and hi, how you doing? But that was it. So uh, when we did our interview, I got to meet him and sort of see the kind of guy he is, and it was incredible. I was like, I can just imagine what he was like to have at camp. Especially sort of he and Denny working together, I could really see those oh, yeah. two. It was, it was, it was. They had a synergy. They totally had a balance on who did what, and um, and it worked. Activity wise, whether it's sports or not, what were some of the things that really stick out for you that you that enjoyed? Well, all the leagues. I mean, everyone was totally into it. Whether you were a great athlete or a mediocre athlete or a bad athlete, whatever. It's just. Everything revolved around the sports, and there was such spirit that you got into it no matter what your ability was, your contribution was to mm -hmm. it. And so what sticks out was obviously, you know, Peach League, Pineapple League, Watermelon League, and Volleyball A and Volleyball B, you know, all, all, the, all the sports was yeah. really the, the highlight. And I also loved the... Uh, the waterfront stuff. I learned how to water ski. I remember, I I, <laughs> I learned how to. Um, Steve Katz ran the waterfront with the the boating. Learned how to water ski, 
And I was always afraid to put my... I learned how to slalom. And I was afraid to put my rear foot into the binder, thinking I was going to fall. So I would be pulled around the lake, Catfish Lake, with my left leg up, or my right leg, whichever leg I was skiing on, up like as a dog peeing at a fire hydrant. <laughs> I was always afraid to put my rear leg in, thinking I was going to absolutely wipe out. <laughs> uh, one thing I particularly remember not liking uh, was the overnighters. Mm. We had very, very few of them, and they always seemed to get rained out, and they were tedious, and it was something that we just sort of had to do. Yeah. And and I remember we were, I, I don't remember what year we were in, but um, it, it's one of my favorite lines. I, I've seen, I know this guy, I've seen him around. We're friendly. Um, Robbie Rosenfeld. And we're going down the Wisconsin River, and it starts to drizzle. And we're in around 10 different canoes with one counselor in the front and a counselor in the back. And it's just, it's very tedious, and it's starting to drizzle or something. And Robbie yells out, if this fucking river were straight, we'd be there already. <laughs> and everybody cracked up, Inclu including the counselors, because they knew Robbie was right. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and many years, not, you know, many years later, obviously, a few years ago, I, I, I see Robbie at the car wash or something, and I tell him a lot. He laughs, he goes... I think that was, he said, I remember that. He said, I clearly believe I was around 14, 15 years old. That was my best line ever. <laughs> I said, yeah, Rob. It was. Topped out. The career is over. That's funny. So, yeah, so the, um, the overnighters were not my favorite, but it was such a small part of camp, it didn't make that much difference. The whole, the whole aura of everything else was just so, so fantastic. Mm. And I, I was, now, okay, I was not a great athlete. I enjoyed it. I wasn't the worst. I, I was in the, I remember doing in, in uh, the Jubilee and all that stuff. I never had any parts. I wasn't really talented musically or anything, but I did it. And it's, it's a good example that you can do something and really be into it and really sincerely enjoy it as much as the guys who are tops. Yeah. Because there's just, mommy, just such a a spirit toward it all mm. yeah absolutely and probably i mean would you have done a jubilee at home like would that even be something you'd be into at home no no right no 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 no, 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 no. <laughs> you did it because it was there yeah and, and one of the things about camp which was so wonderful it was a unique environment it was nothing like home yeah and you you we were in a different world and there was, there was so much spirit to it. One of the things I liked about camp was it was the first thing in my life. You know, I was a little kid. I was 10 years old. But even all throughout the years, it was the only thing I had known that was bigger than me. Hmm. And you're part of a history. You're part of a culture. You're part of something that's so cool yeah. and, and so neat. And... and, and, and I remember my uh, my my next door neighbors. Um, the man went to Camp Ojibwa, and he sent me a letter with ten dollars in it. And he says, "Buy some film and take pictures of my plaques. Um, I think they're in the rec hall. And with any balance of the money, on uh, your next trip to town, go to Zimplemans and buy fudge and enjoy." I'm thinking, "Holy shit! This guy knows about." The plaques in the rec hall, and he knows about <laughs> Zimplemans. This is an old man. He must have been at least 40. <laughs> oh, whoa. But it was just, it was neat. It was part of something that was bigger. I remember my, my, my second year camp, our counselor was uh, Sid Harris. And Sid was, was um, drafted into Vietnam. And there was a big deal um, about. Uh, he was leaving camp, and he knew, or maybe he knew he was doing it. He just went to camp for a couple of weeks. I don't remember the circumstances. I was, I was not privy to that. But everyone was out in front of their cabins when Sid was going off down the road with his car packed up and stuff. Mm. And everyone's cheering or clapping or something like that. 
And then later, I don't know the circumstances of why, but I was um, around parole, maybe the white chairs or something she was talking, she said, this is just like when the boys went to World War II. And mm. I was thinking, wow, you know, World War II was a million years ago, and right. this is now, I'm part of something that is goes back to ancient history. Yeah. It was, it was just a neat sense. And it's something I always felt, I always enjoyed, I always appreciated. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think it's something that um, Ojibwa does really well is instill that thing you're talking about without overdoing it. Like, we don't have to sell it to you. You know, we don't it try to talk itself. a kid into it. It sort of just happens. Like, you know, a kid goes into the rec hall and walks into the medicine man room and sees all those names and all those dates written on the walls. And they go, oh my gosh, that guy's my great uncle. He was here and wrote his name on the wall like I'm about to do. <laughs> and it just happens. And they realize exactly what you're saying, that they're part of this bigger thing. Were there any uh, any of that sort of... I, I always like to bring up the fact that while camp is a uh, known for being super competitive and was always a big sports competitive camp, that that entertainment side was always a big part of camp too. Whether it was the Jubilee or the minstrel show, the inner cabin saying, stunt night, whatever it is, that that was always an aspect. People are always amazed when... I know the words to every fight song. <laughs> every team, it's like, it's just, it's part of your blood. You just right. know it. Or or songs from from Broadway shows that probably lasted a season. Yeah. But we learned them for whatever the reason, the Jubilee or whatever, you know. It's just, you know things that are really not that important, but at the time, they're critically important. Yes. And and it was always it was always fun. Yes, and no doubt uh, we have Elliot Friedman to blame for at least some of that Broadway knowledge. Oh yeah, <laughs> and, and I, 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 it's it's part of me too. Like yeah. everything else, I, I know all the songs from. It wasn't because I was performing them necessarily. It's just you're there and you you learn them. You learn them, yeah. And it, it, it's it's a connection you have with other people who went to camp who know the same lack of something really vitally important. Right. <laughs> and, right. And whenever you see them around, I mean, it's, it's like, you know, I live in Chicago, I was in Chicago, you always bunch into people. And there's, there's a connection to people above and beyond people who you just know. Hmm. You know, because of Ojibwa. Yeah. And there's, uh, this is funny, I, I, um, I belong to a country club, belong to Northmore Country Club, I've been a member for a long time. There was a new member a few years ago maybe five years ago, um, his name was Kobe Kraft. And Kobe was my camper. Mm. And he's wearing a nice pair of golf shorts. I said, where did you get him shorts? So he goes, oh, I got him in the pro shop. So I go in the pro shop. I said, I'd like to get, uh, can you show me the golf shorts? He said he bought them yesterday. Uh, Kobe Kraft. Oh, you know the doctor? <laughs> I'm thinking... I knew a ten-year-old kid who was my camper who was kind of homesick. Yeah, I know. I know the doctor. So there, there's a connection with people above and beyond that goes on for a long, long time. Yeah, which is very cool too. Yeah, it's so fun to watch guys from different age groups and they, you know they call each other kid and because they were kids. Like this guy was this you know he was a kid when he was the counselor and things like that and and watching these relationships. I, I just, see this guy at Temple. Uh, Steve Mendez, he was known as, his name was Sergio. So I, and we were with a bunch of people, and I go, hey, Serge. So someone's like, no, his name is Steve. I said, no, it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> you know, or uh, I'll meet someone. And it just, it's funny, everyone has a, a, a different identity or a different history, a different connection. And whatever the current one is, it sort of takes backseat to where you knew him from. Yeah. Which is from a different generation, you know, a different period of your life. Yeah, it's like those moments sort of get frozen in time, and, and you just call it right back up when you're together. As a camper, then, tell me a little bit about the Braves. Was that something you were yes. a part of, and uh, did you enjoy it? Yes, I did. And, and this gets back to the whole thing with my brothers. Um, the year I was initiating the Braves, my brother was chief of the Braves. Mm. So... I mean, I had to do the same thing everyone else had to do, but I had the uh, the privilege of being selected at the first powwow. You know, the, the popular kids get picked at the first powwow. Right, that's a big deal. And, and I still had to do everything everyone else did, but the only reason I wasn't the most popular kid around, I wasn't because I wasn't the greatest athlete, 
but I was picked the first Powell because my brother was chief of the brace. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, and, and, you know, it's just little stuff. Like, I remember one year, um, my oldest brother, Mitch, was a senior counselor, and he picked Jimmy as his JC, and they picked me on their team. And the team was Indiana, and they joked around, and they didn't do it, but other people called, referred to it as Rubiana for the Rubens. And we probably finished around fifth or sixth or seventh. We, we didn't have an exalted status in the week, but we had a lot of fun. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, what an opportunity for the three of you to have that kind of experience together. I think it was the only time we were on the same same team you know, or anything. Well, that was, that was a big age spread. Yeah, for sure. So by the time you finished with camp, were the, both, did both those guys, had they already moved on and weren't at camp anymore? Or? Well, yeah, my last summer camp, I was... 22 <laughs> so yeah so they're definitely off yeah yeah <laughs> awesome um so tell me a little bit about then becoming a counselor and how what was that like for you how was it different what did you enjoy or not enjoy versus the camper life i really enjoyed being a counselor i i i love those years because especially when i was a senior counselor i i'm not I didn't like being a senior counselor more than they see necessarily, but when I was a senior counselor, I was a senior counselor in cabin four, and I was in cabin four. So I was with kids who were like what I had been like, um, kids away from camp for the first time. Mm. And because I love camp so much, I just saw it as a real opportunity to help a little kid who's away from home for the first time enjoy and love what I loved. It was important for me to try to help make a difference. Because you can make or break it. Yeah, for and, sure. And, and um, that was cool. And then just in general, being a counselor and having the nights off, I don't remember how many nights off we had or anything like that. But I mean, what what is cooler than being able to be in the Northwoods, to be with your friends, to be able to hang out, to be able to go places and do things, and just having a social life of separate and apart from what you do during the day. Yeah, That sure. was a lot of fun. And... Um, I like being a waiter at JC. I didn't love being a waiter. Um, <laughs> as a matter of fact, my, my oldest brother, Mitch, uh, skipped those years. Ah, There's no way he was going to wait on a table. No, 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 no. He wanted people to wait on him. Uh, he, he skipped his JC years, but he had to come back to be a senior counselor. Um, there are a few universal truths at camp, but one of them is no one liked being a waiter. <laughs> they, they did it. Maybe begrudgingly, but no one liked. Well, being Jim, Jimmy was uh, chief of the Braves, and so he waited on head staff. Mm. So I think he had. I don't know if he. I don't know if he had it easier or harder. Whether they were more cooperative or less cooperative, right? But um, they're probably better stackers. But well, yeah, yeah, they're more, more cooperative. <laughs> um, I remember. Uh, this is going back a little bit. We're talking about the mess hall. I thought about it. Uh, a counselor I had one year was Steve Katz. I think I had him two years. Steve Katz. Steve had an aversion to eggs. And if you wanted to eat eggs for breakfast, you had to go to the extra table. Did not want any eggs served at his table. And I could get that wrong, but I think I'm right. <laughs> I, I really think I'm right. But Steve had other qualities. Steve, Steve was responsible for keeping the, uh, the weight room straighten out you know because that was his thing and he knew i loved everyone loved otto's bow ties but i particularly loved otto's chocolate cream pie mm. steve katz knew that i loved his chocolate cream pie and it was very cool because he used to get me out of rest period to go straighten out the weight room and he used to bring me chocolate cream pie nice in a in a in a carton of cleary's milk I mean, how cool! That was phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, straighten out the weight room, move the stuff around, help him organize what he, which was his responsibility to do, and get chocolate cream pie at rest period. It doesn't get much better than that. Yeah. <laughs> the best wages you ever made. <laughs> yeah, really. <laughs> That's funny. Steve Katz, quite a character. I'm sure you had a few stories from having yeah. him around. Yeah, Steve is a perfect example of truth is stranger than stranger than fiction. Yeah. He was a terrific guy. He used to come, I remember he would come to Chicago in the wintertime or something, we used to go to games with him and stuff. He was he was terrific. Yeah. 
Uh, I I met Steve through post camp. I started staying for post camp maybe seven or eight years ago now, and um, I had just met him once briefly. He was there for the real camp season for like two days, fifteen years ago, and uh, you know, meeting him for an hour or half an hour, you have no clue. <laughs> That's not nearly well, enough time to get a handle on well, what the, the two going guys on. who are my closest friends at Ojibwa weren't the first years, and it was Mark Knockbarn, Steve Elrod, hmm. and they were with with Steve from the beginning. Oh, right, yeah. And I was not in that cabin because I had started Ojibwa in 1967. They didn't start till 1968, which I love to kid Steve Elrod about, yeah. telling him that 67 was the best year in Ojibwa history. <laughs> and, oh, I'm sorry, you weren't there. I forgot. Um, but they, they tried to keep the different groups together. And so I was with a different group. And then uh, I, I connected when I think when I was 13 or 14. Mm. Um so I was in a different group. So they were with cats from the beginning. Um, so they had more more of a history with them than I did. But I, I, Steve was from New Orleans. I went to Tulane, so had a mm. connection with him when we were uh, in college as well. Nice. Um, but I, I was oh, this is this is great. I was with a different group for first four years of camp, and I, one of my good friends in the cabin was a kid named Albert Berger, and. We we came up with a plan. I'd like to say we were ten or eleven years old, but I think we were really like thirteen, which is kind of pathetic. But <laughs> the idea was what we were going to do is we had a night we had a, a, a night in town because we won cabin cleanup or we were entitled to it. I don't remember. It was it wasn't a brave thing. It was it had to be something. It was our entire cabin, so it must have been something that our cabin had done right. And the idea was everyone was going to sneak candy back into camp and we were going to put it all together. And we were going to, we didn't want one person to get in trouble. We were going to be smarter than that. We were not going to keep the candy in the cabin. Ah. So everyone put their candy in the bag, put their name on the bag, and we put it in a, in a, a duffel bag or some kind of a zip, zip bag. And then what we did was we were going to bury it in the woods right behind our cabin. And, and you, you've heard the expression, less is more. Well, we thought if less is more, just think about how much more more can be. And we used an entire can of off insect repellent and sprayed it around the outside of the, the suitcase with everyone's <laughs> prized project, per, possessions, which was their candy and their fudge and everything they got that was near and dear to their life. And we buried it in the woods. And we would sneak out into the woods to that was the plan right but the first day i think it was um the first day after it had been buried we go out to the woods to get our candy and denny is walking by with his dog jamie his golden retriever oh boy and he sees what's going on and we go and get and it was totally some animals had gotten to it and <laughs> everything was trashed and our cabin got in trouble we we didn't we we lost some privilege and and you know it's like you guys should know better especially at your age you know <laughs> I, I would expect this from a little kid but and, and and we were just well you know and everyone said it was arnie and albert's idea no it wasn't yeah it was arnie and albert's idea <laughs> and uh we, we we joked about that one for a long time because it was pretty um pretty pathetic <laughs> <laughs> that's great and it would have been okay it wouldn't have even been okay even if Dan, denny hadn't gone by because all this stuff had been right eaten by the animals anyway <laughs> it was already a so it didn't ma- but it was adding insult to injury that he actually saw us and we knew we were going to get the candy now and we in a double injuries we got in trouble for it we weren't going to get this stuff and we got punished for some some way shape or how <laughs> now in those days as a uh, that's you're talking about camper years but as a younger or as a camper or even as an early staff guy do you have a, uh, like an individual relationship with Denny or Mickey is it sort of a or is it more like all right boys go do this well, no. I mean, I would I would talk to him on an individual basis. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't just part of a group. Um, whenever I see Denny to this day, I mean, it's no, it's it's more personal than being part of a of, gotcha. a of a mass. I've only seen Mickey a few times over the years, and it's the same thing. It's like you know, 
my old boss, Mickey, you know, that kind of thing. And Reba, yeah. too. Everyone loved Reba. Reba was so sweet. She was so nice. And Pearl was sort of like a, a taskmaster. She was a tough one in the, in the office. And me, Reba would just smile. Mm. And I, I remember, I remember the, the best lines. In those days, there was a lot more restrictions. Camp was read, run much more like the military than it I is I was going to say, military is the word that I hear over and over. And, and, and the, the, the rule, everyone loved to play roof ball. Oh, boy. But roof ball was not allowed. Now it's probably a league. <laughs> and we'd be on the we'd be on the the rec hall mess hall the rec hall bathroom roof which mm. was a nice roof and you'd get away with it until Reva until Mickey I can't talk till Pearl came back to the desk and then you'd hear this blaring sound over the PA no roof ball over the <laughs> the boys playing roof ball over the mess uh, the rec hall math is that Arnie Rubens, you know, it's like, <laughs> and it's like you you know you were you were spotted, you know, you, you had no choice. Calls you out by name too. Oh, that's I mean, she would brutal. It, well, even in the early years, I mean, Al Schwartz was not known for having a. He wasn't great with names, right? But he knew my last name because there's three of you. Yeah. So he used to call me Rubens. <laughs> he didn't know which one, you know. He he, he probably didn't remember, but. It, it was it was kind of cool that Al even knew your kind of sort of name. Yeah, I it was hey, that was pretty neat. How many kids in Cabin Four had Al Schwartz know their last name? Yeah, from what I hear, very few kids in camp had Al Schwartz know. Right, right, There's a lot right. of Sandy Beach, Jim Shoe, Longfellow. It, 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 it didn't matter, but he he, he, <laughs> he, knew, I, I, he knew the last name. Hmm. That's funny. I I never had the opportunity to meet um, Al. Obviously, I, I my first year at camp was just after he passed away. Um, but you certainly can't be at camp for very long without feeling the influence of, of, of what he created there and what carries on from what he created. Well, yeah, that was the whole thing. It's just part of being something, part of something that's bigger than you. There was such a, a sense of history. There's such a, a sense of, of connectedness, you know, connection and spirit and, all those good things. I mean, it's like I, I felt that I was in a fraternity in college. I was in, in ZBT at Tulane. And you felt a connection to those guys. But it was overrided by your, your commitment or your need to be working and doing schoolwork or your social life, dating and stuff like that. Ojibwe had nothing like that. There was mm-hmm. nothing conflicting with your your interest and your, your, your spirit in your connection to what it was, yeah, and I feel, you know, it it it's part of my blood, and it's it's. I I don't know that I have ever had an experience before or since, where there's something of such unadulterated commitment, connection, hmm. spirit, enthusiasm, all the good stuff. Yeah, and it, it I feel like I'm I'm. Uh, a better person because I had that exposure yeah, and absolutely. It, it reflects back in other aspects of my life of feeling a total commitment to something other than yourself. Mm. Yeah. That's saying a lot. That was kind of profound. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm talking about being a staff man. Um, you said that you really enjoyed that particular aspect of it relating to the younger kids, things like that. Were there guys that you can remember that really stick out for you, like either kids you really connected with during that time or like maybe a junior counselor who was in your cabin with you or something like that that you really clicked with? I don't remember my junior counselor. <laughs> but they, they were all nice. Um, no, not, not specifically. It, right. it's, it, it's... And it, I mean, and it's not, I mean... I've talked to as many guys who had like, oh yeah, Bob and Joe and this guy, and then other guys who were like, no, but all of them, you know, that that it was more about just being able to be that guy for everybody a little bit. So, well, I, I, I think the right answer. The, I think the feeling about being connected to specific people is not so much at the time, as much as is years later, where you you have a connection with someone because of. Ojibwa. Mm. I mean, I meet people mm-hmm. in other settings, and they say, "Oh, you know him?" So he goes, and then he'll say, "Yeah, he was my 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 soccer coach." 
or, or <laughs> you know, or he was he was my JC, you know, yeah. you know, it's it's the connection is that it goes beyond camp. Um, I mean, it 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 is camp, but I'm saying it, it continues into your later life where you see people and 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 they're unique because I was his soccer coach right. or whatever it was. I don't think I ever I don't think I ever coached soccer. But whatever it was. <laughs> um and, and you see people and everyone who, who went to Ojibwe, you're doing this whole thing about the Ojibwe History Channel. It's all about everyone feeling a connection to that place in the Northwoods. Hmm. For different reasons. Or and not even for different reasons, since I think it's probably for the same reason. For all all the all the values and all, all you learn from it, all, yeah. the, all that you got out of it. But it, it's neat when you see people in your current life and you relate to them because of your past. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have one or two great little camp stories to share? It can be from camper days, counselor days. No, I, I, nothing specific comes to mind. It was, it was a lot of years, and... I, I, I went every year. My brothers each skipped a year or two hmm. and regretted it for whatever else they were doing that summer that was more important. And they came back and came back. But I, I was consistent. I went through. Um, and um, nothing... <laughs> I can't think of anything specific yeah. about in the individuals other than the fact that just the friendships. Yeah, I mean, as for example, like you know, Steve Alrod, who I've known since forever, other than the fact that he did not go to camp in 1967. As I arguably out. the greatest year ever in the history of Camp Ojibwe. You you heard about that too, yeah, right? I've, yeah, that's you knew that. I've done the history project. I know. <laughs> um, but he's my closest friend to the day, mm. to to today, and, and it's like okay, I see. But so it's not so much people who I knew then who I kind of sort of know is people who I definitely know now mm. who are the connections and 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 that's um it's part of the beauty of it too I mean how often do you have an opportunity to to find a a best friend right for all these years right and, it, and it's a lot of years the older I get the more years it is <laughs> <laughs> Right, and it makes that and those bonds be, are are unbreakable in a different way. You know, you have the you grow up and you have a childhood best friend or whatever, and it's it's more about geography than anything, right? Like wherever you're born and wherever that guy's born, and you ended up in a school together, you become friends or you know whatever. But but camp and, and same with college, like oh well, I chose to go to this college, this guy chose to go to this college, we became friends because we were there. Fine, but camp is different. Camp is you get there and and you create this connection with each other, and this you're in such a I don't know uh, what the right words for is, but it's it's a vulnerable space. You're you're going away for maybe the first time ever, or, or an early time. Certainly, you're getting away from all the parent figures. You're being independent, but you're also taking that journey with this group of people, you and these other guys. And so those bonds that you create by being so vulnerable and growing up and and connecting all through that piece of the journey, just make this unbreakable base. That thirty years later. Nothing either one of you do is going to change anything about the fact that back then you guys connected in such a deep way that you're always going to be friends. You're always going to be able to pick up and talk about those times and check in and give a shit about each other and what you're doing with your life now and everything. The unique story, I, I don't know if Steve said the story or not, but it was his birthday and he and I went out on a, on a canoe or a sailboat um, during, before lunch after general during free period and the wind died down we were behind island two or whatever it was and we couldn't get back in and he was really afraid he was very upset because he was going to be able to give the birthday treat and get the birthday speech at lunchtime uh -huh. he was going to miss it because we were stuck behind the island and we were we, we had a very hard time figuring out how we were going to get back in but we always talk about that Mm. July 12th that's his birthday we talk about how we were stuck out in Catfish Lake but we did get back yeah 
<laughs> and the other thing you're talking about in the connection is connectedness. I mentioned that Kirby Caden was my closest friend growing up when I was a little kid before we even got to camp. We went to Ojibwe together. The years that we were at camp, Kirby and I were the only two guys from Glencoe. Everyone else was from Highland Park. Everyone knew each other. And we just looked at each other like we were the only two people who knew each other from before. And we only had each other. So our connection was because it was at home too, obviously. But one of our connections at camp was because we were the only two that happened to be from south of mm-hmm. Lake Cook Road. Uh, how would you say that camp has affected your life? Well, clearly, obviously, positively affected my life. Um, it, it, it taught me about hard work. Uh, nothing was more serious and more important than collegiate week. Um, and I had never had an opportunity before then to be exposed to something that was so important. And it was very important. Mm. And so it, it taught you the idea about commitment to something and it, it carries on in, in work when you have a responsibility for something. You, you felt a responsibility. Well, that's a good word. You felt a responsibility to your teammates. And just like in work, you feel responsibility to your clients or whatever it, whatever it would be. So it taught you commitment to what you have to be doing and focus and direction and drive. And those are all pretty good values to think that you learned them on Catfish Lake in Eagle River, Wisconsin when you were a kid. But it's true. It made you commitment to other people, responsibility to your, your cabin mates and, and to your teammates and whatever it would be, just... Um, the importance of you being part of a group and not being an individual, mm. being part of a hall, and the hall was a lot bigger than some of its parts. Yeah, it was. Yeah, a bunch of individuals, but the whole was critically important of what you were able to be part of, whether it was on a cabin a team basis, or a cabin basis, or a camp basis. Um, so. It also taught you that there's a lot of opportunities to have fun. Mm. <laughs> there's work, and, there, there's work, and there's play. Yeah, and, and, absolutely. And, and, and when we were counsel, we felt responsibility, but then we got our nights out, and then we had fun. And we just learned to balance the good and the good and the bad. And that carried over into college. I worked hard in college, and I and I played too. It was a good balance to be able to do one, and one one was the reason why the other could succeed. And I did well in college because I worked hard. And the reason I worked hard because I knew I was going to have an opportunity to play hard. And vice versa, you could play because you felt you already put in the time to do the work. And camp was like, like that too. It was it was a balance. And, and life is a balance. And it's learning how to do that, to deal with that balance. Life should be too much. And just the idea that a connection to other people how has camp affected me? It is the connection people, people who are younger and people who are older than me. It's just you're all part of the same team. Yeah. And I remember listening to the thing about the guy who was the camper at camp of the first year, 1928. Hmm. Um, it was kind of hard. The, the, the sound wasn't clear. It didn't matter specifically what he was saying. He's talking about something I really could and couldn't relate to it couldn't relate to it because I didn't know it but I could relate to it because it was camp and here was this old man talking about the same thing that I experienced yeah and that's what makes it so neat is that you're just part of something that's that's bigger I said that a couple times but that's it really that's it's it's an overriding theme to why I love camp so much you're just part of something that made you feel connected yeah no, I think I think you I think you really nail it with that. I've never heard anybody sort of phrase it exactly that way, but I think that really does nail a lot of what happens at camp. That it's accepting and knowing and enjoying being a part of something bigger. That you don't need to be big. You don't need to try to be bigger than it. It's that's not what's important. What's important is that you get to be a piece of it. Yeah, it was a very um, positive, healthy cult. Yes. <laughs> And it is. That's it. It is. I, I had a friend, a friend who went to Coago for a million years, 
we talk about Ojibwe versus Kuaga, and my feeling is there's no comparison to the two. And, and, and he listens to the stories about Ojibwe. He's like, oh, oh, wow, that's interesting. He didn't have that. Mm. He loved his camp for the same reason I love mine, but it's like he didn't have that. And, and it's and it, it, it's it's neat to feel that I, I was fortunate, privileged, and lucky enough to have experienced that, all because Al Schwartz pursued my parents to make that first camp visit to get my brother to sign up. <laughs> <laughs> and the rest is history. And the rest is history. Okay, that is it. Another episode in the books. Artie Rubens, great interview, funny stories. Love that candy story. Can't get over it. As I mentioned at the top of the show, the Camp Ojibwe History Podcast road trip is on. I'm going to be traveling around the country for the next few weeks. If you are a former camp person and you would like to be interviewed on the podcast, get in touch with me, Christopher, at CampOjibwaHistory.org. Let me know. I would love to come sit down with you and talk about camp. Also, I'll just mention one more time, we're extending the bricks for a couple more days for some people who had technical difficulties, but again, for everyone who took part, thank you so much for helping keep this project going. You guys are unbelievable. None of this would be happening without you, so thank you. That is it for this week. Sorry we're a little late getting out tonight, but uh, we'll be on time next week. And as for me, I'm heading over to 1549 Arbor. It's time for a cigar. <laughs>